submission and humble surrender today. His presence is here. He hears your heart. Through every battle, through every heartbreak, through every circumstance, yeah, I believe that you are my fortress. You are my portion. Oh, you are my hiding place. Yes, I believe you tell them now, church. Oh, okay. 
Victory for the 
won by him. And he's in the midst. His presence is here. We praise you in your victory, Lord, face to face. Because you are here, moving in our midst. I worship you. I worship you. Respond to his grace with worship. You are here, working in this place. Every eye, I worship you. Worship, we sing that again. You are here. Yes, you are here, moving in our midst. Yes, I worship you. I worship you. Yes, you are here, working in this place. I worship you. Would you tell him now? Speak to him now, way maker. There's power we proclaim truth like that.
He is the living God. He is present in this moment. He is here to meet with you. Jesus said, whenever two or more of you come together, I will be there with you in your midst. And this morning, the Holy Spirit says, if there's a struggle in your heart, have you brought it to me? Have you given it to me? Have you sought me as your way maker, your miracle worker, your living and powerful Father God? Spirit says you do not have because you do not ask. Church, I want to invite you right now. Let us all bow our heads, close our eyes. And God says, bring your struggle to me. The battle belongs to me. Whether it's in your body, in your health, whether it's in your spirit, in your heart, whether it's in your relationships, God says, I, I am your way maker. I am for you. Bring your struggles to me and I will meet you in them. I'm going to ask the worship team to sing that chorus one more time. And as we sing at church, lift up that struggle. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's with your neighbor. As they sing, you lift up that struggle to a living God. And he will meet us in the midst of it. So says the Spirit of the Lord. here with us. God is here for us. God delights in you, but God can't seem to get this mask off my microphone. So I'm going to take just a moment and fix this. Would you greet one another and welcome one another? Make sure everybody feels comfortable. Good morning, church, and welcome to first service here at Mount Rainier Christian Center on a glorious, gorgeous morning. I hope you've got plans to take advantage of that sunshine. Welcome to everybody who's joining us online as well in this moment, whether you're at your house, in a hotel, wherever you are, we're thrilled that you're with us as well. Boy, I don't know what happened there. My mask just would not come off of my microphone. 
uh, you know, if you, if you don't believe in the devil, moments like that will make you believe in it. Uh, but my brother, uh, this being Enumclaw, had a giant knife in his pocket, and he took care of that, so we're good. Uh, God has a way of... Uh, God has a way of keeping us in reality, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. He does. It is great to see you this morning. And, um, you know, I want to make us aware uh, of a few things that are going on, that are coming up um, around our fellowship even today. Um, but before I do that, let's just remember again that the, the most significant thing we do when we come together is not listen to me preach or whoever's preaching. The most significant thing we do when we come together is worship. And it is in our worship, it is in your worship, your personal worship, that God will meet you in supernatural ways. That's what he does. When we surrender to him like that, then he meets us. Just as he's going to meet the sound tech right now as they fix that echo in our microphone. You know what? Very rarely, once in a while, we stop to appreciate the gang that's working back in there. And, you know, it's so thankless. Can we just appreciate them for everything that they do? Yeah. All of them. If they weren't back there, so many things would be hard. Um, And we appreciate all the volunteers that serve back there, everybody who's doing that. Uh, But uh, it is our worship. It is our worship that thrills our Father. Uh, A few things to make us aware of, friends. First of all, uh, for young adults, uh, this evening, 6 o'clock, is a barbecue. Uh, Pastor Darius and the young adults team will be hosting uh, here at the church. You're invited to come be a part of that. Uh, Young marrieds in particular, bring your kids. We're going to have a terrific time. Take advantage of this weather. That's going to happen at 6 o'clock clock tonight, so be aware of that. Uh, This coming weekend, Friday and Saturday, uh, we are hosting an Elevate Kids Overnight Camp that'll be right here on the church campus. Uh, That's going to start Friday evening and go through Saturday afternoon. Pastor Allison and Janae and the kids team will be leading that. If you don't have your kids signed up yet, please contact the office right away this week and, and, and they can be a part of that. Your grandkids this coming Friday and Saturday. Uh, Also, uh, tomorrow night is the beginning of our spring membership classes. There's three classes, 101, 201, and 301. We offer them every fall and every spring. And if you've decided that MRCC is your, your church home and you haven't come to the membership classes, I want to invite you to come and be a part of that. Uh, I teach them. It's an opportunity for me to get to know you a little better in a smaller setting, but also it's through the membership classes that you connect to what's happening uh, here at the church, that you find your way into things like small groups and ministry and uh, those kind of connections that are a huge part of, of who we are in Christ. So tomorrow night, 6.30, then the next Monday, and the next Monday, you're invited to come and be a part of that. There's a sign-up sheet in the guest center. You can call the church office or or if you forget, just show up. Uh, We would love to see you there. Also on the 15th, that's a Saturday, a week from Saturday, is the ladies' spring tea here at MRCC. That's happening at 11 o'clock, a fellowship get-together event for women. Um, That'll be, again, as always, no cost. Bring a friend, bring whoever. Uh, But that's coming up on the 15th, and you're invited to be a part of that. I know a, a lot this morning. And then on the 23rd, church, we are... We are looking forward to our spring baptisms. We get, didn't get to do spring or fall baptisms last year because of COVID, but this year we can. And so we're going to be celebrating that public confession of faith, which is baptism on the 23rd of May. If you've never made that public confession, but Christ is your Savior, I want to invite you to sign up and, and be a part of that. Jesus himself insisted on being publicly baptized as a testimony of his relationship with God, and he invites us, indeed commands us, to do the same. You know, uh, I had a young lady come up to me, I believe it was after second service last week, and she was so excited. She says, Pastor Greg, I'm going to be baptized. And she says, I have to tell you, a year ago, I I didn't know God. I wasn't part of a church. My family wasn't part of a church. He said, but a friend invited me here to MRCC, and I just fell in love. And over this last year, I've gotten to know God, and I'm going to be baptized the end of May. And I said, yay, you know, that's, that's what it's all about. And if you're ready to take that step, May 23rd, sign up sheet in the guest center, call the church office again as always. And then, and then one last thing is that actually this week, uh, we are going to start uh, doing some 
construction, which in the long run is going to lead to the expansion that we've def desperately needed at MRCC for so long. And so there's going to be some work starting this week uh, with the sound booth, and then in the next number of weeks, it's going to move to widening the hall down to the kids' area, and then ultimately, as all the uh, pieces fall into place and all the permits are handled and stuff like that, we'll be building that new children's wing. And we are excited about that and thrilled about what God is doing. And so can I ask you this morning to take just a moment, and they don't want me to call them out publicly, but there's a, there's a group of people in our church who are serving on what's called our development team who are doing an immense amount of work behind the scenes so that we can make more room for what God is doing. Can we just take a moment to appreciate them? They'll know who they are. They know who they are. Big, big, big deal what they're doing. So thank you uh, to you. This morning, friends, we're going to continue our journey through 1 Thessalonians, and we find ourselves in chapter 4, beginning with verse 13 this morning, so you're going to want to turn there uh, in your Bible. We'll also jump over to Luke chapter 7 for a moment, but 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 and following, and, and can I ask you this morning, do, do you know what it's like to be really homesick? H have you had that experience I'm always surprised to meet people who haven't, because on, on more than one occasion, I've known what it feels like to be intensely homesick. I remember being stationed overseas for a year in a country that's 24 hours of darkness in the winter. I went to Iceland, and I remember just feeling so homesick when I was there. I remember when I was in the service as well, I first left home in, in 1982 and was in Jacksonville, North Carolina, and was in training, and Thanksgiving came, and there was no family around, no friends around, and I was 18 years old, and I'll never forget that Thanksgiving, because it was me by myself in a Burger King, <laughs> looking around, almost nobody else in there, feeling sorry for myself. Go ahead and express your pity for me right now. Yeah, exactly, right, you know, if you were that kid. Uh, I remember that, but, but maybe you've had those kinds of experiences of being intensely homesick as well. I, I, I came across some puns about uh, the pain of missing stuff, of missing people, and you know that I can't resist a collection of puns, so I thought I would share a few of them with you this morning. For example, did you know that stormtroopers and dogs are a lot alike? No matter where you are, they miss you. That's real, right? You with me? You with me? Which trees always miss you the most? Pine trees, of course. Yeah, I know. You can groan. You're supposed to groan. All right, on that. What should you do when you miss your mother-in-law? Reload and try again. That's the <laughs> obvious one. Somebody said, my cat pottied on my new backpack, so I had to throw it away. I'll miss you, Fluffy. You know, that kind of, get that one. My boss was pretty upset when he said you missed work yesterday, didn't you? He got really upset when I said, no, not really. <laughs> didn't miss it much at all. Becoming a vegetarian is a big missed steak. Of course, you, you know that already. What do you tell your Australian friend if he missed a call from his dad? You say, you're boomerang. You know, you, can, you get it, right? I'll stop now, okay? I'll stop. Even though, even though missing someone is a terrible feeling, even though being homesick, and, and homesickness is really not about missing places, it's about missing people when you think about it. And even though it's a terrible feeling, it's also a wonderful one. It, it means you're loved. It means that you love. And it means that you belong somewhere in a, in a community of people, whether it's a family or a circle of friends or whatever it is. Homesickness isn't really about the place, it's about the people in the place. And the only thing worse than feeling homesick is not being able to. Let me say that again. The only thing worse than being homesick is not being able to. In the same way, grief is the evidence of love. And because of that, God cares about your grief. This Thursday, we as a church will serve a, a family in our community that just lost a, an adult son. And the way in which they lost that son was so tragic, there was an accident with their firearms and one friend shot and killed another. Just on accident. 
And you know, the grief and the pain that is being felt by that friend, by the families right now, that's actually the evidence of love. It's the proof of love. And because of that, God cares deeply about our grief. And he doesn't want you to be ignorant about grief or, as the scripture says this morning, to be hopeless in your grief. Let's listen to what God, our Father, says to us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning with verse 13. Here's what the Bible says. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant, that is, unaware, unknowing, without understanding. We do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. It's a reference to death. We don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own words, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise. All of them. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we, the emphasis is on we, so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, the scripture says, encourage one another with these words. Give one another courage. Impart to one another confidence and strength. Encourage one another with these words. Now, friends, let me invite you to notice that there are two very specific things that that your Father God is concerned about here. First, he doesn't want you to be ignorant about death. He says, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep because you're us, because you are our brothers, our sisters, our family. We don't want you to be ignorant. Second, he doesn't want us to grieve like those who have no hope. He doesn't say he doesn't want us to grieve. That'd be foolish and silly. God himself grieves, as we're going to see in a moment. But he doesn't want us to grieve like those who have no hope. So let's break that down together for for the next 20 minutes or so. First of all, God doesn't want us to be ignorant. Friends, ignorance is what happens when we don't know something we should. And specifically, it's what happens when we think something is irreversible, which isn't. That's an awful feeling. You know, in the moment that we lose someone to death, there's the temptation to believe that that's permanent, that that's forever, that they have passed out of our experience and we will never experience them again. The the temptation to feel that is incredibly strong and real, but it is a deception. It is a lie because the reality is that Jesus' resurrection demonstrates his power to undo what we think of as irreversible. You know, I've shared the story before. We all have great stories about our kids as parents. I I shared the story before about our son Isaiah when he was about four, three, somewhere in there. And and he had a a teddy bear called Bernard, Bernard Bear. And he just was attached to that bear come bedtime. He he always took him to bed. And and Ron and I, as parents, would marvel that he had this tendency to kind of to rub on the bear while he was sleeping. I don't know why he did that, but it would gradually reduce the bear to bare bits of cloth. All his fur rubbed off. And one night, he woke up in the middle of the night, like I said, he's about three or four, and he had rubbed the bear's head off. <laughs> and he, he woke up and the bear's head was off. And we heard this blood-curdling scream, and we got up in the middle of the night, and Isaiah had come out into the hallway. There was a little corridor between our room and his, and he was standing there with the bear's head in one hand, the bear's body in the other, and I mean, tears were streaming down his face. Why? Because, Because he thought that was irreversible. He thought that could never be undone. Bernard Bear had lost his head. But Rhonda dragged herself into the sewing room with that bear that very night. It was like two in the morning. And, and she sewed Bernard's head back on. 
And that alone soothed his tears. We laugh about it to this day because it was two in the morning and she sewed his head on like cockeyed. So to this day, Bernard is sort of looking off to one side. (laughs) But Isaiah thought it was irreversible and the truth was it wasn't. When we're ignorant, we can feel like that. God wants us to know that death, hear me friends, God wants us to know that death isn't the end of anyone. Not of anyone. That's a good thing for believers. It's less good for those who have chosen all their lives to reject God. We'll come back to that. But when it comes to death, the Bible says Jesus came, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15, to free those, think about this, hear this, to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. When we live in the fear of death, it creates a kind of slavery, a kind of control over us. That controls emotional, that controls intellectual, that control can can reach right into every corner of our lives. Why do we have a midlife crisis? Because we think that the best part of life is passing when nothing could be further from the truth. But Jesus says that he comes to set free those who are held in slavery by their fear of death. Now, please understand that when the Bible speaks of the fear of death in this context, it's not speaking of the apprehension that we all feel about stepping into the unknown. Uh, We we get that way when we're down at the lake for a picnic and we're trying to get in the water and it's going to be cold and we know it, but blah, blah, blah. Eventually, we jump in and we get over it. It's not talking about that kind of apprehension. It's talking about the terror that controls us, that governs and directs our lives. Oh, no, I'm getting older. I'm going to miss out on the best parts of life. That's what ignorance about death can do to you. The Bible says God doesn't want us to live in that ignorance. Robert Bauer is a mortician at Dover Air Force Base in Delaware, which is the next to last stop on the way home for Americans killed in service to their country. And he says the hardest part of his job by far is seeing loved ones come to collect the bodies of their loved lost. Over and over again, he sees them. And he says he's learned one thing for sure. All grief is not equal. He said there's a huge difference between those who come who are believers, who trust Jesus and have learned from him the truth about death. There's a huge difference between them and those who come in ignorance, who have no faith who don't know the truth about death. God says, I want you to be one of those who knows the truth. I don't want you to be ignorant. People who learn from Jesus know that death is a transition, not a destruction. There's a wonderful old piece of parchment called the letter to Diognetus. I encountered this way back in Bible college. Beautiful story. And it's a, a, a letter written from a man who, who served a wealthy patron in Rome. And this man's job was to travel around and find places that this wealthy patron should visit. You know, this was before the internet. You can't just get on there and look at pictures of places and then go there. You got to hear from somebody. And this guy's job was to travel around and find great places for this guy to visit. So he would write these letters as he toured and send them back. And he says, the beautiful thing about the letter, he says, I came to the city of Antioch. He says, when you come to Antioch, be sure to go and see the Christians. Your Bible tells you that's where followers of Jesus were first called Christians is in Antioch. He says, when you come to Antioch, be sure you go and see the Christians. They are a strange and wonderful people. For, strange, right? But strange and wonderful. For whenever one of their number passes from this life, they gather together and feast and celebrate and talk as if the person had only gone from one country to another, and soon they would be reunited. They do this even when their children die. When you come to Antioch, be sure and go see the Christians. What a beautiful picture of a people who had learned from God not to be ignorant about death. Here's the opposite of ignorance about death. When you know the truth, you understand that to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. That's an old Christian motto that we use to encourage and remind one another. Why do we say that? Because Jesus said to the thief on the cross as they were dying side by side, he said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. That to die 
is to go and be with Christ. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1 that to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, so I desire to depart and be with Christ. It's better by far. Friends, when we're not ignorant about death, you look forward to it. So many believers say that they want to go to heaven, but in the same breath they say, but I'd rather not today. (laughs) Why not? Why not? Paul goes on in that passage to say, I can't wait. I would love to go today. But he says, you know, I got some things to do. I got some people I need to reach out to. I got some situations that I need to serve. I got some responsibilities in God's church. And so he says, I know it's not going to be today. It's going to be a little while. But he says, I can't wait. I can't wait to go. When you're not ignorant about death, that's how you feel. Can I just tell you that no Christian who dies is ever bummed about it? (laughs) They're just immediately celebrating about it. I told Rhonda that when my day comes and the memorial service happens, the last thing that I want to happen in my memorial service is when you all leave is that they'll cut in with that that song... um, Oh, gosh, now it's going to escape me in a moment. Uh, You know, Spirit in the Sky, right? Because I want you to laugh on your way out. Because I guarantee you I am. That's what it means to be not ignorant about death. The Scripture tells us that death is a substantial reality. 1 Corinthians 15 says that the the body that perishes is replaced by an immortal and eternal one. It is real. It is solid. One of the great lies of the devil is to portray the afterlife as if it's somehow less than this life. Church, we miss out on nothing when we go to heaven. Heaven isn't bodiless or insubstantial. The risen Christ ate fish, made a fire, hugged his friends, and went for walks with them. He also flew around like Iron Man, walked through walls like Vision, and never gave up on his broken friends like Cap never gave up on Bucky, right? There it is. Yeah. But seriously, gang, understand something. Heaven, the other side of, of death, isn't less, it's more. It's every joy you and I know here and now infinitely multiplied in all of its fullness forever. There's no sense in which it's less. And that's why God says to the Thessalonians, I don't want you to be ignorant about it. And that's why he says to you and me this morning, I don't want you to be ignorant about it. Ignorance has a a, a real cost. When you live in ignorance, it creates that slavery Uh, to the fear of death that Hebrews chapter 2 was talking about. It can control your life. It can drive you. It can make your decisions for you. It can control your temperament. It's an awful kind of slavery when we live in ignorance. I love to tell the story about the crew of the whale ship Essex out of Massachusetts, which is the ship that is responsible for the story Moby Dick that you're familiar with. In 1820, that ship was sunk by a whale in the Central Pacific, and when the ship went down and the men went into their lifeboats, catch this, they were less than 100 miles from Tahiti. They could have rowed to Tahiti. But they had heard rumors. The internet wasn't around, but the rumors were still there. They had heard rumors that Tahiti was filled with cannibals, not true. And so as a consequence, they turned and tried to row to South America, 3,000 miles away. The end of the story is that only two of those men survived, and they survived by eating the ones who died on the way. Friends, that's what the slavery to the fear of death can do. It can control us. God says, no, 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 I don't want you to be ignorant. Ignorance kills. Church, understand this. If we aren't looking forward to the reality of heaven, we will lose our courage here on earth. We will become cowards when the chips are down. C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity, if you read a little history, you will quickly see that it was precisely those Christians who thought most of the next world who were useful in this one. (laughs) Why? Because their lack of ignorance set them free. Their awareness of what lay ahead set them free. What does that kind of courage look like? A grandmother writes, My four-year-old granddaughter and me were talking about death because Grandpa passed away. She didn't like to think of him dying. But I talked with her about how everyone dies someday, and we listed all the people close to her, and I explained that each one goes at a different time, and suddenly it was like a light bulb went on in her eyes. Oh, she said, 
so we all take turns. Right, I said to her. Okay, she said, if it's Grandpa's turn now, then it'll be my turn someday, and we'll just take turns until later. And she went outside to play without a care in the world. That spirit is what God wants you to have. And that's why Paul writes to the Thessalonians about this. Can I just ask you this morning as my fellow believer, are you ignorant about death? The Bible will tell you a ton of details about the life to come. If you're willing to listen, if you want to put your ignorance behind you, 1 Corinthians 15 is a great place to begin. Revelation 21 is another great place to begin, but we go on and on and on to find out the reality of what lies ahead of us. God says, I don't want you to be ignorant about it because you're my son, my daughter. And then the second thing God says is that he doesn't want us to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Now notice that the Bible doesn't say God doesn't want us to grieve. That would be foolish and silly. Sometimes Christians think, well, if I'm sad and tearful, if I'm missing someone, I'm somehow failing in my faith. What a bunch of nonsense. To feel nothing at death is a kind of death in itself. Grief is the proof of love. At memorials, I always say, if we knew that what we feel today was the price of having that person in our life, if we knew that the pain and grief we feel at their passing was the price of having them, and we knew that ahead of time, we'd all volunteer for it. And so we understand that it is not grief itself that God wants us to turn away from, but the grief that is without hope. Church, understand that even God himself grieves. He's the least ignorant person ever when it comes to death. And yet he grieves. Shortest verse in the Bible is found in John's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 35, when the scripture says that Jesus saw the grief of Mary and Martha and he wept. They had lost their brother, brother Lazarus. In a matter of minutes, Jesus was going to raise him from the dead. Nevertheless, seeing their grief, he wept. He wept with them. The Bible says in Luke chapter 7 that when the Lord saw that widow whose son had died, his heart went out to her. He felt for her. He grieved with her. Isaiah tells us that our Savior is a man of sorrows well acquainted with grief. See, church, the Bible doesn't say that we're not to grieve because grief is love. God doesn't condemn it. He shares it. But he doesn't want us to grieve like those who have no hope. King David understood this. His baby boy was terminally ill, the scripture tells us in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And the Bible says that David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and went into his house and spent the night lying on the ground in prayer. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused. And he would not eat any food with them. And on the seventh day of this, the child died. David's servants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead for they thought he may do something desperate. I've seen people feel like that. I'll never forget being in the emergency room one night when we coded a man who had been accidentally run over by his own mother. And when he died, to this day, I can hear the sound of her wailing in the hallway outside. Best-selling author Joan Didion in her book, The Year of Magical Thinking, writes about trying to make sense of her world after losing her husband. She marvels at the ability of grief to derange my mind and to make me completely irrational. I keep thinking, surely there's been a mistake. This can't be real. One day she writes she was cleaning out her closet of her husband's clothes to give away to thrift shops and she found that she just couldn't get rid of his shoes because she kept thinking over and over again he's going to need these when he gets back. Grief at its worst threatens to detach us from reality. That's why God says, hey Greg, I want you to hold on to the hope that I have promised you. David did. And it made all the difference between despair and hope. The story goes on to tell us that David, 2 Samuel chapter 12, beginning with verse 19, David noticed that his servants were whispering among themselves and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied. He is. Then David got up from the ground, went into the house of the Lord, and worshipped 
His servants asked him, why are you acting this way? And David answered, and he said, can I bring him back again? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no, but listen to what he says. I will go to him, but he will not return to me. I will. Now my son is ahead of me, not just behind me. See, the grief without hope sees the loved lost as behind us. The grief with hope sees them as ahead of us. David clings to God's promise about life after death, and it's enough to keep his grief from overwhelming him. He knows his dead son is ahead of him now, not just behind him. God wants you to know that as well. He wants to touch your grief. If you're here today and you are carrying the weight of a heavy grief, know this, first of all, God shares it with you. Second of all, he doesn't want you to grieve like those who have no hope. He wants to reveal to your spirit that the loved lost are ahead of you now. God's heart is for you in your grief. You know, the Bible tells us over in Luke chapter 7 a beautiful story that pictures our Father's heart in this way. The scripture says Jesus went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, picture this, a dead person was being carried out. Not just any dead person, but the only son of his mother. And she was a widow. Boy, there's an ocean of pain in that sentence. They've only got each other, and it's been that way for some time, ever since dad lost his life. And now, she who was expecting to pass from this life without ever losing a child, now she has lost her son. Imagine what she's feeling in this moment. She's all alone. Her husband gone, now her son gone. And the Bible says that when the Lord saw her, when Jesus saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry, don't grieve without hope. And then he went up and he touched the coffin and those carrying it stood still. And he said, because he has the power to say things like this, he said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Church, God wants us to know that that is what lies ahead. You know, I, I live with about a dozen friends who over the course of my life, I have watched them lose children. Some as young as two years old, some 10, 12. One family of dear friends lost their son right after he moved away from home to take up a new job. And in each one of those families' hearts, there is a profound grief. Yet God says, the day is coming when they're going to see that lost child again. And I can't wait for that moment. I get to be there and see their faces when God gives that child back to them, alive and whole. Nothing less than that will ever completely wash away their grief. But in that moment, imagine what this woman felt. Imagine how she reacted when, when Jesus gave her back her dead son. God says the day is coming when he will do that with all of our loved lost. Nothing less can ultimately heal that grief. But that moment is coming. And so the Bible says, according to the Lord's own word, we tell you, this is where we finish this morning, that we who are still alive and left till the coming of the Lord won't precede those who have fallen asleep. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, a note on that, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them. Notice the emphasis, reunited in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we together will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. 
There's some details in there that are incredibly profound. With a loud command, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, the idea is that God's final authority will manifest and every lesser authority will be destroyed and fall away. It's like when we were kids and getting too rowdy in the next room and then mom or dad stepped into the room and everything stopped. It's going to be like that because all the nonsense will be put to an end. One of my favorite stories is the story of a missionary who had spent 40 years serving in Central Africa. He was getting ready to go home. He was teaching at a Bible college at that point, and he was giving his last lecture in his last class, and it happened to be on this passage. And one of the students raised a hand and said, Professor, I have a question. He says, yes. He says, what will the Lord say when he returns? It says he'll come with a shout, with a loud command. What will he say? The professor's first reaction was to say, I don't know. (laughs) know, The Bible doesn't tell us what he'll say. But then his mind ran back over 40 years of misery and injustice and struggle that he had seen in Central Africa over an entire career. And he said, I felt emboldened by the Spirit to say, he will say, enough. Enough. Stop. You're done. No more racism. No more violence, no more wickedness, no more bigotry, no more oppression, no more lies and deception. Enough, you're done, game over. That's what he will say. And church, we don't bring that about in our own power. Jesus brings it about in his. Our calling is to preach the gospel of his grace until this moment comes. Fearlessly preach the gospel of grace because we know this moment is coming. I said earlier that all the dead will rise, but not all will go to heaven. One of the great lies of the counterfeit American pagan religion is the idea that all go to heaven. They do not. All who have received Christ as their Savior go to eternal life. All rise, but when Jesus comes back, it's to bring judgment as well as deliverance. The dead in Christ rise first, then we are caught up with them. We will be reunited with them. You know what that moment's going to feel like? Let me tell you a story and we'll close with it and have a little one-minute video to share with you. In October of 1988, Li Jingzi and her husband Mao began to live a nightmare. Happily married, with an infant son they had nicknamed Gigi, which is Chinese for great one, kind of a joke on how tiny he was, was their only child and the only one they would ever be allowed to have due to China's one-child policy at the time. And Lee was at work that day when the police called to tell her, your child is missing. Dad had stopped for a bottle of water on the way home from the zoo, and Gigi disappeared from the car while his back was turned. I couldn't breathe, Lee said. He was my world. The police, though they put out every effort, couldn't find him. Despite massive efforts by friends and family, Gigi was gone. For years... She and her husband couldn't stop looking. They personally distributed more than 100,000 flyers at bus stops and train stations and malls within more than 100 miles of where he was lost. She became so distraught that eventually she was hospitalized. Finally, she did the only thing she could with her grief. She volunteered for a group called Baby Come Home that helps parents find lost children. And over the next three decades, she helped 29 children find their way back to their families. But not Gigi. He was gone. She said, I had to face it. Then, in April of 2019, 32 years later, a newly formed Chinese police unit that used DNA to track missing children electrified her with another phone call. We found your son. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what she felt? Can you imagine what that moment was like when they were reunited? Give your attention to the screen and let's watch it happen.
Jesus says, that's what lies ahead for us. That reuniting is what lies ahead for us. God says, I don't want you to be ignorant about it. I don't want you to be without hope because that moment is coming for you. Can't wait to see my grandfather. Who is it you will see? God wants you to feel that and live in it. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? God, we thank you for your word. And as we go from here today, God, let it be with an awareness that you offer this life, this resurrection life, to anyone and everyone willing to receive it. Lord, your, your message was so simple that if we would simply confess to you, I'm a sinner and I need you to be my Savior, in that moment you forgive us, you cleanse us, you give us new life. You give us the promise of resurrection. We thank you for that message, God, that we stand on, that we live in. This morning, if as you sit here, you don't know Jesus as your Savior, he offers this to you. If you're only willing to say, God, yes, I'm a sinner, I need a Savior. You can do that right now. He he hears your heart, he's here, he's present in this moment. And he'll give you that promise of resurrection, of being reunited. God, we thank you for this hope. We thank you that you wash away our ignorance. We thank you that you set us free from the fear of death. Send us from here this morning, thrilling to your promise, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, church? Yeah. Everything changes when we listen to God tell us the truth. Amen? Now may the love of God the Father and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon.